Good morning, Saltbox. Uh, I'm Michael Mattis. I pastor a church in Wilmington, North Carolina, by the name of Saltbox. Um, if you're tuning in online, Facebook Live or YouTube or somewhere else on a podcast, I just want to give you a warm welcome. Um, we're in the middle of a series that we've called Beautiful Attitudes. Uh, we've called it that um, because it's actually something Billy Graham said, um, but he called the Beatitudes the Beautiful Attitudes. And just by way of reminder, I think I'd probably say a couple of things as, as we uh, jump into Matthew 5 here. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, I've said this before, but it's so important. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, uh, that's for everyone, right? God really calls and expects us as believers to all carry um, those fruits of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit um, are not for everyone. In other words, some of us have a gift of, of one thing, while others may have a gift in another area. And so you, you, there's no sort of spiritual expectation that you would have all those gifts. But the Beatitudes are actually character qualities, and, and it really is what Jesus is actually teaching and sharing is if you want to walk with him and be a companion and participant with him in being salt and light on this planet, changing whatever sphere of your world with the power of the gospel, it's imperative that you walk with these eight beautiful attitudes, these eight um, beatitudes. And so uh, today we're actually um, on the meek. So let me also just remind us, um, Jesus went up into a mountain, there was a flat place, big stone amphitheater, and he sat down and began to teach his disciples and then many, many others. And he sat down symbolizing um, the authority of, of Yahweh. He was actually going to get down to business um, and, and teach from the word of God. So uh, turn with me, if you will, uh, Matthew 5, and I'm just going to read one verse, um, and here's how it goes. Blessed are the meek, that's preus in Greek, P-R-A-U-S, preus. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I have been sitting on this. I have been thinking about this. I have been meditating on it. I've been praying about it. And, you know, as I, when I first sort of opened it up, um, I actually uh, thought this. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they're the doormats of the earth. That's kind of what we think, isn't it? That would be something, probably an error that we as Christians, um, or, or maybe everyone, you think of meekness and it's almost like you think of weakness, you think of um, fear, you think of trepidation. Um, I also happen to think, blessed are the meek for they get trampled underfoot. And so I actually want to dig in today um, and sort of dispel some of that because that is highly inaccurate. And the question then becomes, uh, probably three questions. Number one, what does it mean to be blessed? Jesus keeps saying blessed um, are somebody, uh, the meek in this case. Um, so what does it mean to be blessed? Number two, what is meek? And then number three, what does it mean to inherit the earth? And so I want to take a look at, at those sort of three things and open them up and ask the Holy Spirit to enliven us. Now, I also want to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is really what I'll focus on. Um, here's Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, verse 23, gentleness, same word, preus, and self-control. And self-control is also uh, linked to that same Greek word. So Holy Spirit, as we go about this morning, would you enliven us, speak to us, change us, form us, fill us, 
And Father, where we, uh, maybe even me as a pastor, as a man, as a leader, have rejected meekness because of my preconceived notions, Father, I pray that us as a church, we as people that represent you, would be able to actually go, Lord, would you forgive us for rejecting meekness and would you teach us today what it means to be uh, meek and then what it means to inherit the earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, so it was interesting. I remember being a freshman in high school. I went to a local high school named Hoggard, and I was, I guess I was 15 when I started. And um, I remember going at the very beginning, I had big, tall, white hair then that stuck up like this. It was like a hedgehog or something. And uh, the senior guys um, disliked me, and I got bullied really bad. I mean, really bad. I got jumped a couple times. I got beat up. I actually got pushed in the hallway like every day of my freshman year. Um, I had somebody at my locker and my locker was, it was like those split lockers or somebody up top. And then I was down at the bottom and I was always getting whapped in the back of the head. And I, I got to the point um, where I was uh, starting to react negatively um, when these guys would push on me. And there was, there was like six guys that were kind of the primary instigators of this. And they were all, well, one of them was a sophomore, but the rest of them were seniors. And I actually began as they would come in and push me or they'd walk up behind me and cat me in the back of the head or whatever they were, whatever they were gonna do that day. And I, I actually started to, to get sort of loud and to get ugly and to go, what, you know, what is your problem? What are you doing? And at that young age, I remember the Lord already working in my heart. And, and as a 15-year-old, I felt the Holy Spirit convict me um, based on my reaction. And, and it was probably the first time I grappled with meekness because um, I sort of felt justified in my response. Um, these guys had really hurt me. They had embarrassed me. They had, um, I felt shamed. I felt scared. I felt a, a number of things. And therefore, because I felt all of those things, I sort of felt justified to react any way I wanted to, right? And what the Holy Spirit began to actually work down inside of me um, was that no matter what someone out here was doing to me, um, I'm still responsible for, for my response. And, and you know, what's interesting about life on planet Earth is that's really all we can control. In other words, you can't control what happens to you. You can't control what's done to you. You can't control what's said to you. All you can really control is your response um, to those things. And, and it was the first time in my life, but I like felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and, and tell me to go back and ask, this is crazy, go back and ask these six guys to forgive me for my response. And I was like angry at the Lord. I mean, I was angry at the Lord for a couple weeks before I, I obeyed. And, um, and yet I, I went, Lord, I know that I'm not right in my response. And so I asked the Lord's forgiveness. And eventually I went and asked these guys to forgive me. And I found them one by one. It's, it's, uh, if you've ever dealt with a bully, it's way better um, to find them by themselves, not in their crowd, because in their crowd, they're sort of invincible. So I found each of them one by one when nobody else was around. And I went up and I, I one by one basically said, hey, um, you know, you've hurt me and you've you know, bullied me and I don't like it, but I recognize that I've responded to you in some negative ways and I've said some ugly things back to you. I've even done some ugly things back to you and I wanna ask your forgiveness. And every one of these guys, like jaw just dropped. They're like, you know, this 15 year old kid that I've harangued is now coming back and asking my forgiveness for his bad response. 
And, you know, it, it came after that point, um, a lot of the bullying kind of came to an end. But if I fast forward three years to seven years from that point, so I was even out of, out of high school, um, of these six guys, five of them came to Christ and came back and apologized to me. Five of them. Now, you know, when they came back and they apologized or asked forgiveness in whatever way they could, but we dialogued about when I came to them um, and asked their forgiveness. And I am actually convinced that in the kingdom of God, uh, when we walk in meekness, when we walk in spirit-centered or, or, or Holy Spirit-empowered meekness, that it carries with it the power of God to actually penetrate and break through darkness. And is that the thing that made those five guys come to Christ? You know, I have no idea. Was it part of their journey? I'd say, yeah. I'd say absolutely. And in fact, there's some trepidation in me as I look back because I go, what if I hardened my heart and didn't listen to the Lord? What if I didn't obey him and even take responsibility for my part, my poor response? So it was uh, that situation really became the defining point in my heart and in my mind for what does it mean to be weak, uh, uh, meek, excuse me, not weak. What does it mean to be meek? How do you walk that out? And then I truly didn't see the fruit of that for in one case it was three years and a couple other cases it was five to seven years. Five to seven years later, I'm in college and even beyond, and I had a couple of these people reach out and apologize. That's the fruit of meekness. It is a kingdom principle that like the earth doesn't understand. Humans uh, in the natural mind don't get it because it is, in, in some ways, it's God's um, power under control. It is, um, it's, it's, it's God's ability to work in you and through you and a person's choice to actually humble themselves um, before God and then before people. So let's, let's kind of park that for just a minute and then let's ask this broad question. Let me tell you again what we're gonna do. We're gonna go, what does it mean to be blessed? Like that is a, it's a misused term, I think, in America, in, in American Christianity. Then, then what does it mean to be meek and how do we apply it to our lives? And then uh, what does it mean to inherit the earth? So let's start with what does it mean to be blessed? So from, from Genesis to Revelation, um, the only way, that's the first book of the Bible and the last book, the only way that you can interpret the Bible is with the Bible. So you, you can't use history or logic or you can't use anything to interpret the scriptures but the scriptures. So, uh, you know, what you begin to see from the Old Testament all the way to the New um, is uh, those who are blessed are those who please God. Uh, you could say it like this. Those who are blessed are those who his gracious hand, the gracious hand of God rests upon, that's Old Testament, or the Holy Spirit infills, that's more New Testament. Um, people who are blessed are those who do not grieve the Spirit uh, or those who are consistently uh, filled with the Spirit and therefore the presence of Jesus. So, you know, if I, if I really simplified it down, what does it mean um, to be blessed, it's, it's first of all, you're, you're experiencing the presence of Jesus in your daily life. And then, and then secondly, uh, you find fulfillment. In other words, um, I mean, when you, when you talk to people, uh, if I talk to people at work or people who are young or people who are older or people in all walks of life, non-believers, believers, the basic cry is that we 
um, as humans find fulfillment. And I'm convinced uh, that there's a sort of Jesus-shaped hole in each of us that until that is filled, number one, that number two, we can't find God's purpose and fulfillment for our lives. So it, it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, Jesus, sitting in this uh, funny place in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And, and what he means by blessed is you're, you're literally bringing, when you obey him, when you walk in meekness, when you uh, imp- or, or embrace this calling, you're going to bring blessing on yourself, number one. You're going to bring salvation to others, number two. And you're going to bring glory to God, number three. So, uh, you know, the American um, prosperity gospel, I chafe against it a little bit um, because, and, and some of that's because of the American dream, you know, that it's part of sort of who we are here in America. And that's, I'm, I'm not against wealth uh, at all. In fact, I would look at it and say, if, if God's given you wealth, wonderful, accumulate it, invest it, tithe from it, uh, give it, be generous with it. But many times here in America, we, we would limit the blessing of God um, to earthly wealth. And I would say that's a huge sleight of hands to the kingdom. It, it, does the kingdom of God, when, when God says blessing or blessed, does it include material possessions? Maybe. Sometimes, but not always. So, so blessed is so much bigger than material um, possessions. In fact, we could probably all name a person or two that we know where, where the accumulation of earthly goods has, has actually been good for some people. And we could probably also point at some others and go, the accumulation of earthly goods has been um, negative. It's almost like cursed their life. They, they can't get out from under um, some of the, maybe the greed or the whatever that's, that's overtaken them. So, you know, the, if, you, if you go back to Genesis 12, which is worth reading at some point, you have the Abrahamic covenant. That's the promise between God and Abraham. That's all covenant means. It's a big Bible word that means promise. But a holy God makes a promise to a guy named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. So when God says blessed, the first thing he's saying is, I am going to bless you with the kingdom of heaven, with the riches of heaven. Um, and I, in the expectation and requirement is, as I bless you with that, you then turn around and you bless everyone around you. So ideally, if a person is walking with God or a couple or a single or an individual and they move into a neighborhood, you ought to actually begin to see their neighbors and people around them actually begin to shift and change by the, by the blessing of God because they're blessed and therefore they're turning around and blessing and loving on people around them. And that could take many, many different forms. Um, Ephesians 1.3 actually says, uh, Paul's uh, writing here, and he says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us. Um, so, so someone who is blessed is a person who is, number one, filled with the presence of Jesus, and who, number two, find their fulfillment. It's, it's that simple. Um, pleasing God, um, his presence in your life, number one, and then number two, you find fulfillment on planet Earth. That's what blessed means. I, I remember uh, a few years ago, I would see people sign letters, um, blessings, or every blessing. And I just thought it was religious. I actually didn't like it. Um, and I was, I was judgmental about it, if I'm totally honest. And yet I've found myself, as I've understood what it means, a biblical blessing, what it means is so big and so broad. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So to sign a letter, blessing, or every blessing, as opposed to sincerely, or cheers, or warmly, or whatever, really is a... It's a Christ-centered, um, uh, hey, 
be blessed in the name of Jesus. And I've actually begun even to sign letters like that. Isn't that funny how God works in our lives? So blessed literally means pleasing God, his presence in your life, and then finding fulfillment. And you know, for me, as I live my life, what I want more than anything is to live a life where Christ Jesus is fully in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ Jesus now lives in me and through me. And then I find fulfillment. In other words, everything that heaven, everything that God has called me and Abby and us to do, we find, we meet, we maximize, and we fulfill. Because that is where, that is the blessed life. So uh, now let's park that a second. If we understand what blessed means, now let's go, what does meek mean? Because we do not like the word meek. It sounds weak. It sounds like you're a doormat. It sounds like you're going to be walked on and disrespected and treated badly. So what does this word uh, meek mean? And, and in Greek, it's preus, P-R-A-U-S, and it's one of the great Greek ethical words. So without getting too deep into it, um, Aristotle was huge on this. I mean, he was huge on, on meekness or, or preus. And he would actually probably say um, preus, uh, and, and the reason I'm doing this is because the Bible's written in Greek. So I'm actually looking at what does this word mean? When, when the disciples wrote Jesus's words down as preus, what, what were they actually trying to communicate? Because I don't think it communicates to us as Americans. Um, so preus literally means um, not angry or a balanced anger. So maybe a better way to say it is you're never angry at the wrong time and you're always angry at the right time, which sounds kind of like, what? So never angry at the wrong time means I don't lose my temper with my kids or my wife or I don't yell at somebody in traffic or you fill in the blank. Those are small things. They, they grow from there. But never angry at the wrong time. And then probably even angry at the right time, what that sort of indicates or what that means is you're, you're angry at the injustices in the world. In other words, you're taking up the cause of, uh, of the orphan or the widow or the destitute or the one who's been marginalized or the one who's been pushed out. So it's, it's um, you know, you get the idea in this Greek word that being angry on behalf of yourself, in other words, somebody's hurt you. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you're never angry in those situations and you are um, appropriately angry at the injustices of the world. So the, the first thing you actually um, see is this, this meekness is not uh, weakness, but rather it actually refers to sort of exercising God's strength under God's control. So it's kind of like demonstrating power or demonstrating authority without harshness. So fascinating. So in some ways, you could even say, what I did when I went back and asked those guys to forgive me for my response is I actually exercised kingdom authority. I took responsibility for where I had been wrong. I asked their forgiveness, and I exercised kingdom authority in such a way that there may have even been some light from the kingdom of God that's able to sort of penetrate into their minds and into their hearts. God's strength under control. The second thing that Greek word preus means, so meek, what's it mean? The second thing, this is fascinating, is it literally refers to an animal who's been domesticated. Now you're going to have to hang with me here just a minute. But an animal that's been trained to obey the command of, of the owner or the master. 
um, the horse who's learned to obey the reins. So when we just read Galatians 5.23 and you have the same Greek root word for gentleness and self-controlled, what it's literally saying here and, and what uh, Jesus is communicating is not that you have to be um, self-controlled, although that's the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-controlled. He's not saying you have to be fully self-controlled. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's you have to be fully God-controlled. So, so this, this second definition of prayas is literally you, you are responding to the reins of the master, so you are fully God-controlled. So what is meekness? Meekness means you are entirely controlled by the Spirit of God. Um, Tozer actually refers to, A.W. Tozer, I love him, um, he refers to uh, what it means to be full of the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit as being possessed by another. It's a little scary almost. But what you're getting there is literally a person whose life is so yielded to God that when God moves the reins, uh, you don't buck, you actually go. You know, Abby and I had a, um, we, we honeymooned at a dude ranch um, in Colorado and we, we rode horses all over these big trails all through the mountains and she actually worked there. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with Abby. She worked at this dude ranch. I thought it was so cool. And uh, so we actually flew out there and you know I was actually learning to ride a horse out there, believe it or not. But I was fascinated because these horses, the moment you, you move the reins, you could even hold them in one hand and move the reins and the horse literally is so broken or contrite beneath the rider that it's gonna literally obey and do what, do what the rider says. And, and that's literally the picture here is you are so contrite before God. You're so dependent upon him that you're not out carving your own way. You're not out doing your own thing. No, no, no. You're waiting patiently. You are watching. You are listening. And when Jesus, the master, uh, directs you this way or that way or directs you to do this or even say this or not do this or not say that, that you as a human are responsive to the spirit of Jesus and you obey. You listen. That's what meekness actually is. So literally what Jesus is saying is, Blessed uh, or happy, if you go back to that definition, happy is the person who is entirely controlled by God. You want happiness in your life? You surrender your life to the point, you give your life to Jesus to the point where you are entirely controlled by him. You know, a possible translation then that we could sort of wrestle out here is um, happy is the person who has every instinct, every impulse, every passion under spirit-filled self-control. Happy is the person who has every instinct, every impulse, every passion under spirit-filled self-control. Blessed is the person who is entirely self-controlled. Proverbs 16, 23, I love this verse. It says, um, the person that rules their own spirit, the person that rules their own heart is better than one who takes a city. And literally the writer of this proverb understood that it's easier to amass an army and overtake a city <clears throat> than it is to rule and reign over your own heart. Like the human heart is, the scriptures even says it's desperately and hopelessly wicked. I mean, it is, it is um, without the Lord Jesus um, sort of changing and keeping our hearts in line and in check and under him, we have the capability of running all which ways, running amok and making huge messes, don't we? 
So, you know, I think what you have here, and if I even called you to think historically, think of any great man or great woman that I would cite to you are, are also going to have greatness, meaning they probably fulfilled that God-given capacity or purpose, but they affected their generation. They affected people for good, but they're always ones who have their passions, their instincts, and their impulses um, under control. And that's what meekness actually means. <clears throat> so a question I'd ask before we go to my next point is, are your passions, are your impulses under the control of God? Or do they run wild and do they own you and do they rule you? So essentially I'm saying who rules your life on a daily basis? The last thing that this, or a third possible definition of this Greek word praeus, um, it really means um, not lofty hearted, so, so not arrogant. Um, it means true humility, and it, and it goes beyond that. It's actually true humility that banishes pride. So there is um, no, no pride. So it's literally the sort of the acceptance of the necessity to learn. Uh, in other words, you're humble enough to learn, you're teachable, um, and you're aware of your own need to be forgiven. You're aware of your own brokenness, your own sin. Um, and, and you can go to the cross. That is what the definition of meekness is. You know, I was thinking of my own life, and there have been some times where I've been okay saying, Michael is a miserable sinner. I'm a miserable sinner. In other words, even when I go back and I ask somebody's forgiveness, I'm sort of saying I'm wrong. I'm, I'm acknowledging that there's sin um, in my life. But it's funny because when somebody comes to me and says, Michael, you're a miserable sinner, I bow up. Ah! I get angry. I, I respond negatively. And you know what's, what's fascinating, and, and, and probably uh, if we flip this almost on ourselves for just a second and, and ask the question, how do we know if we're meek? So as we look at this word meek, how, how could you and I sort of allow the Holy Spirit to sift our hearts, and how could we answer the question, are we meek before a holy God? Are we meek before people? And, and here's how I would answer that. Can you receive criticism without objection? Uh, there's, there's kind of this basic hypocrisy in many of us Christians because we're willing to say we're miserable sinners. We're willing to say we failed. But if somebody else says that about us, we want to, you know, slug them in the nose or something. So, uh, you know, possibly as we get to this point in, in this um, understanding of meekness, the best translation of this entire um, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth is probably something like um, happy is the person who is angry at the right time, never angry at the wrong times, who has every instinct, every impulse and every passion under control because he or she himself or herself is controlled by God, who has the humility to release their own ignorance, their own weakness, for such a person as a king or a queen among people. So here's how we start. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessing literally means pleasing God and finding fulfillment. <clears throat> Number two, what is this Greek, uh, this, this meek, this Greek word praeus or meek, what does it mean? And I think the best and simplest illustration is it means to be entirely god controlled. And then third, what does it mean to inherit the earth? I mean, Jesus is literally saying, you know, blessed are these people who are entirely God controlled for they will inherit the earth. And I think there's a couple thoughts here. The first is when you read the end of the book, Revelation, 
um, you get the, the, the sense that Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, he's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth. And I think that's for the meek to inherit. So that's kind of the big, the big part of this. But, but then there's a, um, <clears throat> uh, something else that I think goes so far beyond this. And Paul actually says it in 2 Corinthians 6.10. But he says, I have nothing. Like I am... Um, totally bankrupt. I, he doesn't have a house. He doesn't have uh, funds. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have, he, he says, I, I have nothing, but in Christ, I possess everything. And there's this sort of mystery here that's almost impossible to understand and how, not only understand, it's almost impossible to, to walk in as, as Christians because it's like, how do we go through um, knowing that we're bankrupt, knowing that we don't have, like Paul, we have nothing, but then in Christ we possess everything. So I think I would probably think of it like this. People who don't know Jesus or who don't know God, um, they might boast, they might throw their weight around, they might manipulate, they might get their way. Um, yet real uh, possession, um, real happiness, real blessed life always eludes those people. And, and the most successful people that I've interfaced with, that I've talked to, when I sit with them, if their life is void of Christ Jesus, they're void of purpose, they're void of happiness, they're void of the blessing of God, the presence of God, the love of God, and then the purpose of God. So, so the meek, uh, as Paul even wrote this in 1 Corinthians uh, or 2 Corinthians 6.10, the meek may be deprived and even disenfranchised by people. I mean, they may be rejected by people. Many of those who are greatest in the kingdom of God are actually cast out. They're outsiders. They're hated. They're rejected. And yet they are alive with Christ and therefore they also rule and reign with him. So there's this uh, dichotomy that you sort of live in, though even though you may be rejected, or hated or spurned or talked bad about as you walk with Christ, as you embrace meekness, as you embrace being God-controlled, as you embrace God's call and purpose in your life, then he literally fills you and you reign with him and possess the earth. So, <clears throat> you know, I, if there's a, um, a point of frustration I have in my own life uh, with the way I walk with Jesus, it's that I feel like the kingdom view or my kingdom spectacles, my ability to look at every situation and every circumstance through the lens of heaven, through the lens of Jesus, um, it just melts. Like it, 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 I'm always sort of wrestling to go, Lord, help me, give me your eyes for this person or give me your eyes for this situation or give me your eyes for something that's happening at home or with one of our kids. Lord, let me see through the lens of Christ, through the lens of scripture and not earthly lens. So I think that's what meekness means. It, it literally means you are entirely God-controlled. You are filled with the Spirit. You are surrendered to the point where you're not trying to establish your own rightness or your own greatness. No, no, you are fully trusting him. <clears throat> and as you walk that out, you are literally inheriting the earth. In other words, you are impacting and changing your sphere of influence. I was thinking, I was trying to even understand this. I was wrestling with it myself. And I was thinking about John the Baptist and, and Matthew eleven eleven and Luke seven twenty eight. Jesus is talking and Jesus literally says, there is none greater among those born of women than John the Baptist. So, I mean, everybody's born of women, right? Except Jesus. Oh, he, Jesus was born of women. He wasn't, I guess, conceived is what I meant there. But it, literally everyone is born of a woman. And Jesus says, um, there is none greater among those born of women than John the Baptist. 
And you begin to sort of think about that. What does that even mean? And John the Baptist lived this crazy life. He wore camel hair for clothes. He he probably had a leather sash. He ate locusts um, and honey. He didn't have a home. He lived in the desert and he preached this radical message, repent for the kingdom of God is, is near. And he paved the way for the ministry of Christ Jesus. Here's a meek man. You know, John the Baptist is almost scary to people. And yet Jesus is saying there is none greater. In other words, this is a meek man. This is a man full of the Holy Spirit. This is a man controlled by God himself. I was also thinking of Moses. You know, if you look at the Old Testament accounts of Moses, or if you watch the old Charlton Heston version of Moses, or the new, I don't know what they are now, Prince of Egypt, some of the Disney takes on it. But literally the Old Testament says that Moses was the most meek man on the face of the earth. And Yet when you look at Moses' life, I mean, think about the time when he lost his temper and killed somebody. So you go, how on earth does someone who is actually angry or has an attitude problem or an anger problem like that, who snaps and kills somebody, get the tagline, the most meek person on the face of the earth? Because in his journey of life, he reached the point of brokenness where that bit in his mouth, where God could literally turn him like God is riding a horse. God could literally turn him and direct him. And Moses was so submitted, so surrendered to Jesus himself, to Yahweh himself, that Moses would obey. When God said go, Moses went. When God said stay, Moses stayed. Moses literally Uh, once he lost his human power and retained his God-given power sort of under control, he became one of the most powerful leaders in human history. There's a German uh, theologian named Rudolf Steer that I like, and he he has this one quote that is fascinating to me. But he says, self-renunciation is the way to world domination. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. See, I think for us as Christians, the question then becomes, how blessed are you? How uh, full of the presence of God are you? How full of the purpose of God is your life? How fulfilled are you? And then I think another question for us is how meek are you? In other words, how God-controlled is your life? I mean, in the, in, the, in the quietness of your own heart, when you're absolutely raw and honest and direct, are you really God-controlled or are you just living your life the way you want to, doing what you want, when you want? You know that. I know that. And I think the last thing I would ask is, are you inheriting the earth? In other words, do you walk around understanding who you are in Christ Jesus, knowing that even though you may not have much, you actually possess everything in Christ Jesus? It's a total life-transforming statement. I couldn't help as I was sort of putting thoughts on paper here to think of how the Apostle Paul died. And we don't have that exact account, but Acts ends and He's still in that Roman prison. And we know some years later he was actually killed. And I can only imagine that as Paul is, is coming to his, um, his last breath, he's coming down to where he's going to die and step across that uh, shroud into eternity, that he's literally um, sitting there going, you know, I am blessed. In other words, the presence of God is in me and on me. I am fulfilled. I have done everything God has called me to do. 
Um, I, I, have, I am meek. In other words, I am God-controlled, and I am inheriting the earth. In other words, he's going to cross over, and he's given everything, every bit of energy, every bit of strength, everything, everything he has to advance the gospel of Christ Jesus, and he's going to co-rule and co-reign with Jesus for eternity. You know, all the apostles, almost all of them died in that same way. And I think they were able to stand under that final persecution and judgment and go to the very end because they were a group of men and even some of the New Testament women were fully God-controlled. If you're listening to me today and you might go, Michael, I don't know um, of, of this type of God that I would even surrender my life to or give my life to, um, I would invite you to surrender your life to him, to, to give your life wholly to him. And if you've never done that, it's really simple. It's a supernatural transaction. But um, let me lead you through a prayer. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, do it now. Now's the time. This is the day. This is the road to fulfillment. This is the road to happiness. This is the road to peace. This is the road to blessing. And don't misconstrue financial blessing. Blessing is far bigger. This is the road. If you want a fulfilled life, you choose Jesus and you give all to him. If you want a happy life, you choose Jesus and give all to him. If you want a blessed life, if you want to inherit the earth, you walk with him. So if you're out there today, pray a prayer with me, something like this. There's no words that are magical or perfect, but say something like this. Lord Jesus, I want to acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short. I want to acknowledge that you are a holy God, that you came to earth, that you walked among us, that you modeled perfection for us, that you went to a cross and were crucified for me, that your blood was shed, that you were buried and you beat death, you beat hell, you were resurrected. And in that resurrection, that life is now made available to me. So would you not only forgive me, would you come into my heart? Would you live there and dwell in me? Would you change me? Would you walk with me and talk with me and teach me to be in relationship with you? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you prayed that, there's a number on your screen or an email. Would you reach out to us? We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. We'd love to help you get into a great Bible preaching, Bible believing church. We'd love to even help you pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit because this is just the first step in a thousand mile journey. And then for those of us who are, uh, who are maybe more mature or further along in our Christian journey, I think a question to allow the Holy Spirit to sift through us is how God-controlled are you? How full of the presence of God are you? How fulfilled in your God-given purpose are you? And therefore, are you inheriting the earth? In other words, are you meek? Are you blessed? And are you inheriting the earth? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we close out a gathering here today, we can't go everywhere with one another, but I'm reminded, Holy Spirit, that you go with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. No matter what manner of difficulty or challenge or pain any one of us is in, you are there with us if we will surrender our hearts to you and call out to you to walk alongside us. So, Father, as, as we close this time in this place, would you bless this group of people? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Lord, would you make us not only aware of your presence, but would you make us a group of people who literally are blessed to be a blessing to all those around us? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.